0: We're going to take one more week uh, before uh, Christmas weekend next week to talk about another topic that I feel is important for our church to hear about. We have been spending the last three weeks uh, talking about focusing on the things that are right. I felt our church uh, good in the eyes of God. I felt our church needed to hear that. Um, and we've been talking about a lot of topics that um, I, I think are just very specific uh, talking about the uh, anger of man and the righteousness of God as well as other topics. And today I want to talk about enduring in faith to the end of the age, enduring until the end of the age in faith. Because I think it's very important. Um, this is a primary goal of the Christian faith is who will endure until the very end. And what we're going to do during this sermon is we're going to do two things. I'm going to do something that I have only done once in the entire time that I've pastored uh, City Bible Church. I'm going to use an acronym. I'm going to use an acrostic to communicate my point. This is only the second time I've ever done this in the history of this church. And so that's going to be the first part of this sermon. I'm actually going to use an acronym. And secondly, we're going to go through seven uh, exhortations to enduring biblically. That's going to be the second part of the sermon. This first part, when we use this um, acronym, and uh, I'm going to bring that up right now, I worked hard for this. E-N-D-U-R-E. I'm going to make each letter work. This is going to be a little bit more of a testimonial time. And as I share this, I'm going to go through E-N-D-U-R-E. Uh, I want you to ask yourself, do I see this? Uh, in my own life, do I see this in the life of other people that I've been around in in church? And uh, hopefully, this will give some uh, a way of you looking at your own experience and saying, "You know what? This is very common." I um, and will help provide a perspective on how to look at these things as well. So let me pray for our time together, and then we'll go into this. Father, as we come to you. We pray that um, we would remember that those whom you have brought to yourself, the enemy cannot snatch away, that he who endures until the very end of the age will be saved. That we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, and yet it is God who works in us for the good, and he will bring to completion the good work that you have started in us. And so, Lord, as we look at this important topic, may it instill spiritual confidence in us this morning that uh, we are yours. We will forever be yours. But also, Lord, may we have a renewed sense of urgency to warn others to examine where they are in their faith today, as Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And so I pray you bless our time together in Jesus name. Amen. So this first part, it's a little bit more testimonial. Uh, We're going to use this acronym, endure. I'm going to talk about um, kind of a journey that I've gone on. And actually, this is very good for you to hear from me because I'm at a point in life where I've lived long enough to see many Christians endure and many Christians not, or many people who profess to know Christ not endure. I'm not speaking to you as someone who's, you know, 26 years old. and and kind of has this sense of great optimism that's not maybe tempered with the proper amount of alertness and sober-mindedness. So I'm not talking to someone who's specifically young, but I'm also not talking to someone who's like 75 years old and um, who's not, he's kind of at the end, but and maybe not completely in the struggle of uh, middle life. And so I think this is actually a good uh, message, and I'm probably a good person to share this perspective with a lot of you guys that are younger than I am. So let's talk about this in acronym. Endure. E stands for enthusiasm. You know what? Don't worry about writing this. Down. You can if you want. Acronyms to me are like use, almost close to useless. Uh, you know, Yeah, I see your computer back there, Mike. Uh, you can write it down, but what's more important is not, oh, what was the E? What was the R? What was And, and uh, do I need to remember that? Don't worry about that all that matters when pastors do this is do you get it? What he's talking about in the moment. That's all that matters, right? You don't even remember the acronym. All right, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, E stands for enthusiasm, enthusiasm. And I think when I started my Christian faith, uh, it, it was glorious, right? I give my life to Christ when I was in junior high, went to church, kind of fell away in college, came back after that. But there was this kind of sense of optimism. I started with the Christian faith, um, I've been saved. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And I'm in. God loves me. God forgives me. Uh, God has given me uh, his supernatural power to live a sanctified life. I have peace with God. I have a sense that I know the truth. And there's this just unbounded sense of optimism that I started the Christian faith with. And I think that um, I, I would look around at the other people I was going to church with, and I would say, we're all together. This is great. This is how it's always going to be. We're together. We're going to do, we're going to spend our lives following the Lord. We're all going to be friends. We're going to be brothers in Christ. I didn't even question whether everyone around me who's going to church or going to these youth camps or, or, you know, reading their Bible, I didn't even question whether they were truly saved or not. I just kind of assumed that. And we're all going to go out and serve the Lord, help the the suffering, win the world to Christ. It's going to be glorious. We're all in this together for life. And so in in the beginning of my Christian journey, I kind of started with this, this this enthusiasm. And I think that's very important, right? When, when you come to faith, you want that you want, it's wondrous. It's like having a child. Everything is new. Everything is wonderful. Everything is, is beautiful. And, um, And then you realize that you're a slave for the next couple years to change your diapers, right? But that doesn't, you don't really think about that in the beginning. Let's go to the N. The N stands for, now it's your turn to be tested by God and experience trial in the world to see if your faith is real. The N stands for, now it's your turn to be tested by God and experience trial in the world to see if your faith is actually real. That's what the N stands for, all right? And now, as I got to the end, I would notice that um, there is these Christians that would kind of fall into these different categories, right? Category number one were uh, Christians who had to sacrifice or suffer or face some kind of trial, temptation, and testing, and they passed, right? And they strengthened their faith. I remember one of the biggest um, decisions of my entire life, my Christian life, came when I was 20, uh, 21 years old. And um, I was dating a a girl that I met in college um, and uh, she was um, in a sorority and, you know, we got along well. And then I went to this camp called Mount Hermon and this speaker was up there saying, you got to lay it all down on the line for Jesus Christ. If you're a follower, it's going to cost you. But Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and uh, pick up your cross. You know, deny yourself and follow him. That's the mark of a true Christian. I listened to that. I said, oh, I know what I need to do. So I went back after that camp and I broke up with her. Okay, And it was because of that. And I told her, I was like, you know, um, I I just think that our, our lives are going in two different directions spiritually. And I, I want to, you know, recommit my life to Christ. And I did. And um, I think that was... It cost me at the time because, you know, I'm 21. Of course, we're going to get married, right? That's the way you think when you're 21. Um, But it was probably one of the single most important decisions I made. I don't even know. I don't think I'd be here right now if I didn't make that decision. And I endured, and it it was costly at the time. I think, uh, you know, there's these Christians who fall into these categories who, who had to make these important decisions of sacrifice, or they went through suffering. My sister Lori, some of you might have known her. She was diagnosed with cancer at 46. She died at 48. Um, this is exactly 10 years ago now. Um, and she endured to the very end. Her testimony was on KKLA one morning. 2,000 people came to her funeral. We had to rent out a mega church. And so, um, and, and so she finished well, and I hope to die as well as she did. So I think that there's these certain Christians that fall into this category of they endure, they make sacrifices, and their life goes on with Christ. And, and even they, 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 um, they even die professing Christ in a faithful way. Then there's this other category. It's kind of the, on the opposite side. And these are people that made professions of faith, but they either fell in disgrace or completely renounced the faith and walked away from the faith. Uh, we see this today. I mean, on a, on a macro level, there's, you, we all hear of pastors, missionaries, evangelists, worship leaders, etc., who were like rising stars in the Christian pantheon. And then they just fall like falling stars um, for whatever scandal or whatever, and they fall in disgrace, and then they walk away from the faith. Or uh, they start to propose a false faith. I, I saw this personally in my own life. I-, I served with so many people, people I looked up to, even people that were younger than me that I looked up to. People, we used to do evangelistic youth rallies. I used to do this with, um, you know, some people, and, and I-, I met a you know, one of the main guys, I really admired him, and then he completely fell away, got married, had five kids. I met with him in Pasadena one time when I ran into him randomly. He's like, it doesn't have anything to do with faith. Okay? Married someone who was not a follower of Christ, and I've invited him to this church. He's like, "He just, and he just says straight out, probably not. Um, I served with a couple of other guys, and uh, we used to do other evangelistic youth rallies when I was in my 20s, and these guys were both in Bible college. They're now both divorced, uh, one of them's remarried, um, one of them has completely renounced the faith. Uh, I've seen Christians get divorced, be unfaithful to their marriages, walk away from the faith, leave the ministry, all in disgrace, and they didn't endure. OK? And then you have this middle category, where you had some people who endured, some people who did not, and then there's this kind of gray area. Notice, And in this gray area, I call them the Cinos, Casey's, and Cowwalks. The Cinos, Casey's, and Cowwalks. Those are more acronyms for you. Okay? Yeah. Cino stands for Christian in name only. <laughs> Christian in name only, a Cino. So they haven't completely renounced their faith. They, they, they say that they're Christian. There's really no evidence. They're a Cino. A Casey stands for Christian, Christian at Christmas and Easter. This is the person who, they haven't completely renounced the faith, but they, they come on Christmas and Easter. And the cow walk. The cow walk is a Christian who's out in the world without the church. A cow walk. Christian without the church, out in the world without the church. And these are people who say, I'm a Christian. I don't need the church, but I'm I'm just kind of living out my faith apart from the body of Christ. And um, And then we come to the D. And I went through a phase of disillusionment. Disillusionment. And I I, I thought about this recently, Um, you know, as as people have um, left the faith in the church. My daughter Darcy uh, showed me this book. I think she bought it at a used bookstore recently. It's called Who Is That? It looks like a real old book. This is just recently. She showed me this book and, um, you know, she's, wants to, um, you know, act in theater. We went to go see, we went to go see little women last night. Okay. Our whole family in the theater production. That tells me my love for my, the, the girls in my family. Uh, but so it's who is that? The late, late viewers guide to the old, old movie players. Okay. This is just a picture, pictures, hundreds of pictures of actors, um, who played supporting roles in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Your parents might know some of these, but Most of these, I I was going through these names. I didn't know hardly any of these people, right? They they were big names. Like I recognize some, uh, Spanky McFarlane, He was uh, uh, one of the little rascals. There's a couple. uh, There's an actor in here from um, "It's a Wonderful Life," etc. And one of the things that struck me in disillusionment is that I realized, you know, these people were were on the big screen. And they were, they were known. I have no idea who they are. Darcy doesn't. And it's all of these people who gave their lives to these things. And the only way they, they're enduring is on these films that almost no one from a 21st century sensibility even knows who they are or cares. And they were big names, big supporting names during their time. And it was disillusioning to me because as I thought about it, I thought about my own life and how much of my life has been given to things that are not going to endure. Do you even know the name of your great-great-grandfather? For all I know, my great-great-grandfather in Japan could have been like a high-ranking samurai for all I know. I have no clue. Didn't matter. Didn't live on, didn't endure. How much of my life has been given to that? And I, and I, I, I began to be disillusioned as I was looking around so many people's lives that I knew. I'd say, how much of what you're giving your life to is going to endure forever? And how much of it is just going to crumble and pass away? It's going to just sink uh, when the storm comes and your house is going to crumble. You is U turn, U turn. And as I would look at people who had made professions of faith, some of them would struggle, but they would stay. They went through some kind of suffering, some kind of loss. Their their hopes and dreams were dashed, but they stayed with the faith. Other people, they struggled, they left. Their profession of faith, they left the church, but then they came back. They came back. The Bible says that um, you are elected, you are chosen, you are predestined. It says that those whom the, have come, the Father draws to himself, the enemy will not snatch away. And what that means is that when you're talking about Christian endurance, is that even if a person struggles, or, or someone will struggle and stay with the faith, but even if a person leaves the faith and comes back, um, the Lord will always bring them back in the end. But there's this third category of people who made professions of faith. They left and they never came back. And then they died. Or you see no evidence whatsoever of them coming back to faith. And we have to ask, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine your, to examine your life to see if you're in the faith daily. Lest you fail the test. And I would say to those who have left the faith, where are you in the faith today? Are you even, how can you be assured of your own salvation then? That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? And what was difficult, and I think what's difficult for the church going forward, is for a lot of the 20th century, the 20th century, there was this undergirding assumption in the church that the generations that came uh, and started with a church background, like the 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 uh, the uh, uh, the builder generation. This is the pre World War II generation, the baby boomer generation. All of these generations started with a Christian base. Some of them left the faith, but they came back to the faith that they started with. And starting with Gen X, certainly with the millennials and Gen Zers, it's no longer the case. What you have in these generations of which kind of i'm this first generation in america's history by the way gen x that didn't start with a christian worldview and so if you have a christian foundation that you start with leave you can come back to that foundation but what happens when you don't start from that at all gen x millennials gen z and so maybe there is or isn't a u-turn maybe it was real or not and so um R is rare. R is rare. As I've gotten older, I realized that those who finish and finish well in the Christian faith are rare. I hate to say it, but it's totally true. You look in the Bible, the parable of the soils in Matthew 13. Jesus said, there's some seed that falls along the way, on the path. People aren't even listening. They don't care. And Satan just takes the truth away from them. There's other seed that, that falls among the thorns and the and, and gets choked out. There's other things that falls and it, it doesn't really take root. And then it withers and dies. And even Jesus acknowledged that there are many people who seem to start well, but they don't finish well. What impresses you most as a Christian today? Like, like what other type of Christian impresses you most? Let's be honest, right? When you look at other Christians and say, wow, I want to aspire to be that, that impresses me. Whether you're a pastor or a layperson, what type of Christian impresses you most? I'll tell you what type of Christian used to impress me for a lot, you know, part of my life in the past. No, it doesn't anymore. Um, was Christians who had an amazing ministry, a large church, Christians who were on the radio, wrote books, um, had large followings. Christians who had this ideal, seemed to have this idealized life. They had the spouse. They had the kids. They had this and that and that. They just, they could do everything, right? And it's impressive in some ways. And in some ways, I think it's important to be able to celebrate that in other people's life. Yet, that no longer impresses me anymore. And the reason why is because I've seen too many people not endure who seem to have those things. What impresses me now, the type of Christian impressing me now is, is the type that endures. To the very end. See, God would rather have you start well with Him in a faith journey, stumble along, but end well with Him. He'd rather have that than to have you take off like a rocket doing great things for God, but in the end, You crash land in your faith. And what impresses me most now, because I see how hard it is, is those Christians, that you can have some bumps along the road, you can have some failures, but who is going to be here at the very end? And so um, the E is for exhortation. The E is for exhortation. And so this is where we're going to get into some biblical exhortations um before we do, before we before we bring up that next slide, um we were at the bookstore last night uh, after we went to the play and we I just go, hey, let's just go walk out of Barnes Noble. It's right there. I haven't been there into a Barnes Noble for years. We went in there last night and I, I just went right to the religion section. I like to see what's actually on the shelves <coughs> there. And I, I just you know, they they highlight some of these books. I'm going to read to you these titles. Okay, this is the type of exhortation that I saw last night that's not helpful. This is not helpful. I'm going to give you the type that is helpful for you to endure in faith. This is the type that's not helpful. Listen to these titles. This is in the Christian religious section. These are best-selling books or books that they're highlighting. Listen to these titles. They're all the same. First title, there is more. When the world says you can't, he says you can. Your purpose and calling is the difference in your destiny. Um, Your greater is coming. Next. Discover the path to your bigger and better and brighter future. Next. Be you. 20 ways to embrace who you really are. Next title. The story of you. An Enneagram journey to becoming your true self. Next title. You be you. Why satisfaction and success are closer than you think. That is garbage. That is what Paul warned against in Colossians 2 when he said, Do not let any uh, vain philosophy, traditions of of man elevate themselves above Christ. This does not help you to endure in your Christian faith. That feeds your flesh and self-idolatry. What will help you? To endure is what we're going to talk about now. Now, there's a lot of scriptures I could talk about. Um, I just chose seven that I thought were exhortations that would be helpful for us. And so let's go to the first here. Okay. The E is for exhortation. Number one, exhortation of God's grace and his hope. His grace and his hope. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He says, we are in grace the grace of God in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we begin here for Christian endurance because Paul reminds us here in Romans 5 that if you belong to the Lord, he will hold on to you. You will endure in the faith. In the end, if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you will endure at the very end. You may have some bumps along the road, but you will not ultimately fall away. Why? Paul says this in verse 2. He says, we are in this grace, verse 2, in which we stand. What is the grace in which we stand in that Paul is talking about? He's talking about that in verse 1. He says, the grace that God has given to us is we have, verse 1, been justified by faith. That means that we've been declared righteous by God by our faith in Jesus Christ. And number 2, again, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace brought you to peace with him. God's grace brought you to be declared right with him through your faith in in Jesus Christ, that was an act of God's grace in your life. That was not what we did; it's what He did for us. And God's grace has He has chosen to hold on to us, to hold on to us, to give us peace, and to declare righteous before Him. Secondly, um, and, you know, before we move on, and His grace, by the way, is greater than your failure. His grace. Is greater than your sin. His grace is greater than your betrayal. God's grace comes to you in His forgiveness. God's grace comes to you in His love. God's grace comes to you in His calling to call you His own. God's grace comes to you to restore you. God's grace comes to you to move you forward. When Paul says in verse 2 this grace in which we stand what he is saying is that those who he has called to himself he will cause to endure to the end in peace and righteousness through our faith in Jesus Christ why because this his grace sustain you, sustains us and not only that he says It is in verse two, the hope of the glory of God. He gives us the hope of the glory of God. Christians endure because we recognize this world is not our home. We have the hope of the glory of God in heaven. And part of the journey that you sign up for as Christians when you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to say, I will allow God And I will follow Jesus in a way to where he's decreasing my hope in this world and increasing my hope for the world to come, the glory of God in heaven. And so as you get older, what is supposed to be happening is we are increasingly longing for the hope of the glory of God. We are increasingly saying, you know, my goodness. This body is breaking down. It's not as fun as it used to be to be in this body as I get older. I can't wait to have a new body in heaven. Oh, my goodness. It's pretty evil out there in this world. It's pretty evil in this world inside of me. Who will save me from this wretched man? Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you start to recognize the sinfulness of your heart. You start to recognize the evil in the world. that will not be fixed. Ultimately, until God fixes it in the end times. And you say, you know what? I I get my hope is now more. God's breaking my hold on the things of this world. I'm hoping for the world to come. And you endure. Why? Because his grace holds you in salvation. And his grace gives you the hope for a world beyond this. And that is the first and most important thing to endure. Number two, <coughs> to endure, we have to have the mindset of a soldier, athlete, and a farmer. We have to have the mindset of a soldier, athlete, and a farmer. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and following, 3 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 7. We have to endure with the mindset of a soldier, athlete, and farmer. <clears throat> Every one of us comes to church with a metaphor of what we th- think church should be. What, our experience, what we expect from the experience of church. What is your metaphor? What metaphor do you have for what you think your experience of church should be? Some people have the metaphor of a classroom. I will come to church, I will sit passively, I will learn, and then I will leave when the bell rings. It's a classroom experience. And there's an aspect of church that's like that. Some people think of church with the uh, the metaphor of a, uh, a a a recovery center, a hospital. I come to church when everything is broken down in my life, and when it gets fixed, I don't have to be here. Some people look at church as a wellness center. I come to church because uh, it helps me to to live my best life now. Some people look at church as a club. I come to church because there are people here who like to do the kind of things I like to do, who look like I am. There's some truth to some of that at some level. But one of the dominant metaphors in the New Testament, actually in the entire Bible, from Genesis chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 20, that's almost the entire Bible, it is the metaphor of war, the metaphor of struggle. And to endure in the Christian faith, you have to have that mindset of war and struggle, that you're striving for something like a soldier, an athlete and farmer. Listen to what Paul said in Second Timothy chapter two, verse three through seven. He's encouraging Timothy, who is pastoring a church at Ephesus. He's under pressure by the Roman government. He's dealing with false teachers on the inside. He's a young man, and Paul encourages him to be strong. And then he, in the verses prior, and then he says, um, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And then he says this, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, The hardworking farmer who ought to uh, have the first share of the crops. You should be a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You should be that person. He says a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. A soldier who is focused on pleasing the one that he serves. His commanding officer. Verse 5, again, an athlete who competes according to the rules, who's striving, who's focused to win the race. A farmer who is working hard to receive his reward. And this is the mindset we have to have, you guys. Do you see yourself as a soldier? Do you see yourself as an athlete? Do you see yourself as a hardworking farmer? See, a soldier is one who engages in war. Says it doesn't get involved in civilian pursuits. God wants you to have a laser like focus in your life to say, I'm on a mission, a military mission from God to carry out his commands, to represent him. And the only thing that matters is my commanding officer. I don't care about the, you know, my peer pressure that I'm re- receiving. I don't care about, you know, I look around at all of the civilian pursuits that are being pursued by so many people that are not going to endure in the end. See, a soldier is focused, an athlete is winning to win a race. You run a marathon. Lorraine has run a marathon. She ran the LA Marathon. That was hard. You know, it took her like four hours. Hottest day on record. You did that like 20 years ago. And, uh, but she was focused. She trained for six months for that. She went from a non-runner to completing the marathon in six months on the hottest day on record, the LA Marathon. Uh, but she had to train hard, and she was focused, and she was going to finish. Some of the people she was training with and ran, you know, they had to get taken away in an ambulance, right? Or they didn't finish, but Lorraine finished, to her credit. Um, we should be the same way. We're focused on winning the race. You have to see this as a race, and you have to see it as hard training to be a Christian. And finally, a farmer. You're going to receive the reward in the end. You want to focus. We're working. We're planting. We're watering here in downtown LA and Cerritos, whatever that is. But we're going to reap. We're going to reap here, and we're going to reap in eternity. Number three, to endure Remember, we start with God's grace and the hope that he's given to us. We have the mindset of a soldier, athlete, and farmer. Number three, we stay in fellowship with other believers. We stay in fellowship with other believers to endure in the Christian faith. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, says this. Writer of Hebrews And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit, people who are not enduring. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews says, you know, there's some people who they stop meeting together with the church. Verse 25. But he says you should be part of a church. You should be in fellowship with believers because when you are in fellowship with believers, you are being spurred to love, spurred on to good deeds and you're reminded that the day of Christ's return is near. You have to be in fellowship with other believers. Christians who choose, or people who make professions of faith and then they choose not to be in fellowship with the body of Christ, are robbing themselves and they're robbing the body of Christ of being spurred on towards love and good deeds. You forget that the judge is coming back when you're not in fellowship with believers. I think that one of the worst things you can do for your faith is stop being part of a church. And you see this happen all the time. It doesn't start all at once, does it? Like Most people who stop coming to church, I'm not talking about switching churches. I am talking about stopping altogether. Most people who stop don't go from, I'm fully in, I'm serving, I'm doing this, and then they just disappear one day. It's usually a progression. And maybe it's a root of bitterness that starts in their heart against someone or something that happened that just grows and festers. Maybe it's a secret sin that they've been hiding for a period of time. That's poisoning their heart. We just didn't know about it. And all of a sudden, it's like, what happened to so-and-so? Well, that had been happening for some time. Other times, it's a distraction. Uh, you know what? I, my school is just so busy. I can't be here. I'll come back, you know, when finals are done. My career is so important. It's, it's just such a busy season at work. I'll be back in three months. Um, do you know it's football season? Do you know it's basketball season? Oh, my goodness. When there's a conflict. Um, how? What am I to do? How can I choose otherwise? And sometimes it's just a distraction. But other times people just come and they say, you know what? I can do this on my own. I don't need this thing. I don't need. I, I know what I know. I know what's right. I'll go do my own thing. I don't need this accountability. I don't need you guys. I already know what's right and what's wrong. And what's happening is that is actually that decision to leave fellowship with the body of Christ one of two things is happening, maybe both. One, it is really indicative of what's already happening in the person's heart. And that's just the outcome of them leaving. Or number two, they end up leaving and it accelerates their decline. If you're going to endure in the Christian faith, you must be part of a fellowship of believers. Number four, <coughs> we need to exit ungodly company. If you're going to endure it in the Christian faith, you need to exit ungodly company. There's a lot of verses. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to reference them. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, when God's people are coming into the promised land, Moses turns to God's people in Deuteronomy 8, and he says, look, when you go in there, don't let your kids marry the pagan people's kids of the pagan land that you're taking possession of. Why? Is because if you let your kids marry the kids of Uh, families that do not worship the Lord, you know what's going to happen, Moses says? He says, your kids will be the ones to leave the faith. Your kids will be the ones to be led astray. Your kids will not lead their kids to Christ or to God. Your kids will be the ones to fall. And so Moses says, do not let your kids be yoked together with people who do not worship the Lord. The book of Proverbs says over and over again, stay away from the immoral woman. Stay away from the unruly woman. Stay away from the angry person. 1 Corinthians 15 says, bad company corrupts good morals. Paul's quoting there a Greek dramatist there. Exit ungodly company. I, I gave this message one time at a youth camp. They got super mad at me for giving this message. I went through the book of Proverbs, all the warnings. I was talking to these teenagers. I said, look, let's be real. Some of you, you're you're with. You're around friends at school, and you know that they're bad for you. And you're just like, well, you know, whatever, or maybe I'll leave them to Christ. But like none of you ever do, let's be honest. And so the Bible actually says, stay away from this person, this, and just reading them, the verses and making commentary. And then this, you know, one of the leaders got super mad. They called the youth leaders together, and they confronted me. Are you saying that we're not supposed to, you know— Lead people to Christ? Are you saying, isn't that unloving to separate from people? I'm like, what are you talking about? This is exactly what the Bible says. And they couldn't grasp that. They couldn't grasp it. The Bible says just as much about separating from the wrong people as it does about loving people. And so, um, which they apologized to me afterwards, you know. But it took like two years to apologize to me, but that's okay. Um, One of the worst things you can do is to date or marry an unbeliever. That is one of the worst things you can do for your profession of faith. You will almost guarantee that you don't endure. I know God will hold on to you, right, if you're truly a believer. But as far as your decisions are made, when you see that happening with your friends, you got it. It's a red flag. That's urgent. That is push the ignition button. You're rocketing towards them saying, bro. You know, rethink your ways. Rethink your decision. You're going down a path that leads to destruction. You. All right, let's move on. Number five, if you're going to (coughs) endure, you have to know the witness of past believers. You have to know the witness of past believers. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You guys are very familiar with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says this. Since therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these cloud of witnesses? The writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He's talking about Hebrews chapter 11. Where he talks about uh, Abel and Abraham. Moses. Uh, Samuel. David. All of these great believers in the faith. And then he comes to verse chapter 12, verse 1. He says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of past witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then in verse 2, he says, go to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He says, the writer of Hebrews, look to the past saints. Look to the past believers. And in this context, he's talking New Testament to the Old Testament saints. But it's very true, too, for the saints that have come after biblical times. If you're going to endure, you have to Look at who has come before you right, i went to I went to this conference i don't know two months ago was it two months ago We went to the Puritan conference a month and a half ago, whatever it was. Uh, I think it was like October it was October right Keenan and I went to this conference uh, it was on on the puritans and it was great. It was a three day conference and I, I I will tell you what struck me was how amazing these men and women were like, you know the puritans. They, they came after the Reformation, largely in England, and they, they said, we're going to reform peace, pe- people's personal walks with the Lord. Um, they didn't reform the church as much as they thought. But listen to this, the, how the Puritans endured. Some of the biggest names from the Puritan movement, I was just blown away with. A guy named Richard Baxter. These are all Puritan pastors. Richard Baxter, this guy didn't get married until his late 40s. And he endured in ministry all that time until his late 40s, and then he got married. And that's a long time to endure in Christian faithfulness, not being married as a pastor. A guy named John Flavel, his Presbyterian pastor, Puritan pastor, three of his wives died during his ministry. Three wives, got married three times, three wives died. A guy named Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry, a lot of you guys know him, Puritan pastor, but he wrote the Matthew Henry Commentary. Right, Some people still use that today. That was the first commentary I ever read. Um, William, Matthew Henry, his first wife died, and four children died in infancy. He had to endure through that his ministry. Listen to this. John Owen, one of the greatest Puritan pastors. He was a pastor for many uh, years. He taught at Oxford. John Owen had 11 children. I uh, him and his wife had 11 children. 10 of them died in infancy. Think about enduring through that in your ministry. 10 out of 11 of your children die in infancy. Um I look at men like this, I'm going, you know, what do I have to complain about? You know, this actually encourages me to endure in ministry. These men th- these men were like preaching and then they died of strokes, that kind of thing. They died of tuberculosis, you know. And, and they're faithful in ministry. We, we we think of these people. We we don't know them. We're like oh, it, it just all went well with you. That's not true. These men had to endure tremendous hardship, and they are who they were because they endured. Uh, one more quick example. Um, I was reading the Fox Book of Martyrs maybe about ten years ago, and there's just one example that completely stuck out to me. I think it's because my kids, you know, were really young at the time. A guy named Graham Staines. You've never heard of him. Like he was a missionary, Australian missionary. Uh, in India uh, to, um, he went with the evangelical missionary society to um, a leper colony in an area called Odisha, Odisha that's in India. So he's an Australian missionary goes in 1965 to India and he, he ministers in a leper colony and and he ends up, he ends up doing this for like 34 years. Okay. In India doesn't get married till like his early forties. And uh, in 1999, he he was you know in a jungle area. Him and his 10 year old boy and six year old boy, you know they were uh, ministering in an area. And they decided to go to sleep in their car because it was cold. There was a warring tribe nearby. Fifty of them came by and burned them down in their own car. Burned their car down. Graham Staines and his two boys just woke up ruckus, and then they set the car on fire. His wife. Um, Lattice actually continued on the ministry for another four or five years after that in India. Think about the endurance of that after losing that, right? That grieves me deeply, especially as a parent, but it actually encourages me in endurance when I see the sacrifices, the suffering, how these men and women endured in Christian faithfulness, not getting married till late, dying having people see people die around them and continuing on in faith. We need that witness. Number six, uh, we need to endure for the sake of the elect. Endure for the sake of the le- elect. Two more, you guys hang in there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul said this. <coughs> Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That's those chosen by God. That's what elect means. 2 Timothy 2 verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul endured. He is writing this, 2 Timothy, from a prison cell called the Mamertine prison in Rome. I visited that room, uh, you know. This summer, I stood in the dungeon where Paul wrote this epistle from. It's dark, it's dank, it's secluded. It's about half, maybe about uh, a half the size of this room. And he's sitting there and he's writing this letter. And he says, I endure all of these things for the sake of the elect, for the sake of believers. I'm sitting here getting ready to die under the sentence of death as an enemy of the state. And I'm enduring it. Why? For the sake of the elect. You need to endure. Parents, you need to endure in your faith. For your children, for the sake of the elect. You never know how your endurance in Christian faith will be used to reach the elect, whether it's your children or it's your relatives or it's your friends who are not believers or it's other people who visit this church. You need to endure for their sake. Finally, number seven. And and that's why I, I endure in faith because It actually helps me to endure, knowing that you guys depend on me to an extent. I need to endure in the faith to encourage you. I need to endure in the faith for the work that we're doing to reach people. And that fuels my endurance in the Christian faith. Number seven, and finally for today, um, we need to endure for the comfort of others. We need to endure for the comfort of others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> Paul says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. He's talking about himself. He's suffering for Christ. So through Christ shall we share abundantly in comfort too. Christ comforts him in his sufferings. Verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experienced when you patiently experience, when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings. You will also share in our comfort. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, One of the reasons why I endure is because I know that I have suffered. You're going to suffer. I've been comforted by the Lord, I'm enduring in faith. So that may that be a comfort to you in your own suffering that you endure in your faith. A Friday night, um there was this teen night as part of our 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 um homeschooling group, and uh we were our house was kind of a meeting point, and um some of the parents were dropping their kids off at our house, and then you know, another parent was gonna take them to another house. And one of the parents pulled up. And Lorraine had just been telling me about this homeschooling family. This woman has just gone through this time of great trial. Her dad, stroke, all these, you know, massive health issues, uh, nursing homes, hospital. This has just been insane for the past four months. Um, Just been physically exhausting on her. And I just, you know, saw her and I just go, hey, Rebecca, how's it going with your dad? And that's all I said, right? And just a floodgate of sharing went on and on and on and but I could relate and I listened to her and I just went full Morpheus on her from the Matrix and I said you know what um, there is a difference between those who uh, know the path and those who have walked the path and I said Rebecca you're talking to someone who has walked the path that you are on with my own family and um, and so I know I feel your pain and. It was like she was so relieved to talk to someone who understood. I talked to someone else recently from this church, and I basically said the same thing. They said, oh, my goodness, I'm going through all this stuff. And I said, I know exactly what you're going through. I've gone through this. And all they said back to me was, you know what? It's not anything that you've said during this lunch that helped me in terms of what to do or not to do. The biggest thing you said to me is that I understand. I have walked the path that you are on. And just knowing that there's someone else who understands what I've gone through um, is all I need. Sometimes you endure through your own suffering because God just wants to, hey, it may be the purpose of our lives, part of the purpose of our lives. It's to serve as a comfort and a warning to others, right? And we got to accept that as Christians. That is the reality. God wants to use our suffering to comfort others. And it is a privilege to be in that place. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father. As we close. We remember Christ who joyfully went to the cross, enduring the shame of it and endured that pain and that suffering, the wrath of God being poured out upon him for our sin. He endured all of that because for the joy set before him. And Lord, that is my prayer for everyone here. May we endure in the Christian faith for the joy that is set before us. Make us wise, God, to know when to encourage, to relate to, even to warn others around us who are not enduring in the Christian faith. And who are dealing with their very profession of faith in salvation. May we have the courage to say the hard things. May we have the wisdom to say the uplifting things, Lord. And may we accept what we need to endure through. Because we know that the hope of the glory of God is worth it. May we know that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.